Welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we are recording this episode on Thursday, February 25th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, February 28th. My name is Teresa Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-host, Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith. How's it going, ladies? Hello. Hi. You think, <laughs> you, after all this, you think after all this time I'd have like a prepared statement ready, but I really don't. I like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, you know the same <laughs> i'm just every it seems like every week and then i end up audit like editing it out but there's always a gap where i'm like is emily gonna answer yeah first? i'm waiting for you to <laughs> answer, I answer first? and i feel like every single week emily like there's like long pause <laughs> and, he's like, hey! and then yeah. i'm like i'm fine we should try and prepare what we want to say during this part of the show in advance <laughs> we, have, we have all week to think about it but is it really broken and it needs to be fixed <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> i don't know how many listeners we lose in the opening minute when this <laughs> It's awkward. Yeah, no, I think it's fine. Uh, I, I love that live sort of, I don't know how I'm yeah, doing. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, True. if Do somebody any of is us. listening to us and they're like, oh, fuck them. Like, just <laughs> pause. It's like, we don't need them anyway. So. Exactly. <laughs> So anyway, I'm fine. Good. I'm happy. We do. It's we do love spring. Listeners. It is almost spring. Yesterday was very warm. Relatively. I know it's teasing us, right? Yeah, it's like I shoot. I, I went to a doctor today, so I was outside. It's like whenever I have something that I have to do, I'm like, okay, this is my day to be outside of my apartment. <laughs> and it was sunny. I was like, wow, like the snow is melting. But then I saw. I had a moment where, you know, I love snow when it's supposed to snow and I don't have to be in it. But then eventually it becomes like sludge mountain. And there was this weird misshapen mass of like crusty, dusty old snow. And I just went, oh, and it had like a dirty mask sticking out of it. Uh, I hate seeing the mask on the ground. It just feels like so. Yeah. It feels so much hazardous. Yeah. I am. I remember speaking of like snow, just staying around forever. Remember, I think it was 2009, 2010. It was like, like crazy amounts of snowfall, like all over the place. Um, Maybe not. Maybe it was like snowmageddon or whatever, like the beginning of lots of snow coming down. And I remember there was at a parking lot where I was at the time where there was like a mountain of snow because of the way they were plowing that got pushed up like, 15 20 feet high and was just there through like june may <laughs> uh, it was wild yeah yeah it's so anyway. disgusting i hate it because you're like every time i take my dog out when i come in i feel like i need to give her like a whole bath because it's just like ugh. but it's just her paws you know but i definitely wipe her off and things like that but i feel bad because it's like i don't think she likes to be dirty either you know so unless we have a real like heavy rain it's gonna stay like that for a while yeah, but in other news, that means spring is coming. Exactly, right? I don't know what that groundhog did, but who cares? <laughs> Just bring Maybe the sun. Leave him alone. I know. That's probably why he like always sees his shadow or something, because he's just like, why don't y'all go about your business and leave me in my hole? <laughs> All right. Well, this week we'll be discussing the alarming level of air pollution in the NYC sub- subway station. Cloned endangered species. That should be fun. Uh, The Cherokee Nation's acknowledgement of Cherokee freedmen and an LGBTQ center in Ghana. 
um, having some difficulties. So let's go ahead and jump right into our local news segment. Emily, you're up to bat. All righty. Yeah, this one's um, not fun, but pretty interesting and important. So, okay, here we go. Um, This story comes from a February 10th article in The Guardian by Oliver Millman titled, People Should Be Alarmed, Air Pollution in U.S. Subway Systems Stuns Researchers. Riders in major cities, especially New York, encounter particle quantities well above safe levels. The article explains, quote, People traveling on subway systems in major U.S. cities are being exposed to unsafe amounts of air pollution, with commuters in New York and New Jersey subjected to the highest levels of pollution researchers has, research has found. Tiny airborne particles, probably thrown up by train brakes or the friction between train wheels and rails, are rife in the 71 underground stations sampled by researchers during morning and evening rush hours in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C., the cities that contain the bulk of subway systems in the U.S. The levels of these tiny specks of pollution, called PM2.5, were well above nationally determined safe daily levels of 35 micrograms per cubic meter in each of the cities. New York's Metropolitan Transit Authority system had 251 micrograms per cubic meter, followed by Washington, D.C. with 145 micrograms per cubic meter. Philadelphia was comparatively the cleanest system, but still breached the limit beyond which serious health hazards are risked, Um, end quote. So just, you know, just to restate those numbers, the safe daily level is 35 micrograms per cubic meter. Uh, New York, the uh, New York MTA was at 251, all right? The research found that, quote, concentrations of hazardous metals and organic particles were anywhere from two to seven times higher than outdoor air samples in the city. Christopher Street, a Manhattan station that helps connect New York and New Jersey, had an incredible particle pollution level of 1,499 micrograms per cubic meter, about 77 times higher than the above ground pollution. This is a pollution level more commonly found near a large wildfire or during a building demolition. Uh, One co-author of the study said that, quote, it was the worst pollution ever measured in a subway station. It's not funny. I'm just it's just unbelievable. Um, Higher than some of the worst days in Beijing or Delhi, end quote. And apparently the members were the numbers were so shocking that he asked his colleagues to repeat the tests. Uh, The researchers calculated that someone making a typical commute to and from Christopher Street was increasing their risk of an adverse cardiovascular event by 10%. Quote, analysis of the air samples shows that the pollutants were mainly composed of iron and organic carbon, a chemical produced by the breakdown of fossil fuels or decaying plants and animals. The latter has, when inhaled, been linked to an increased risk of respiratory conditions, lung cancer, and heart disease. It is not entirely clear why pollution in subways is worse than above ground, although the open air is able to dilute and remove some of the fumes from cars and trucks, while underground stations are often poorly ventilated. End quote. So more research will need to be done to pinpoint exactly where the pollutants are coming from, which could be uh, anything from, quote, the exhaust given by diesel locomotives to dust whipped up from the remains of dead rodents, <laughs> end quote. Again, uh, not making that up, and it's not 
funny, but like I'm laughing because dear God. (laughs) So more research is also needed to figure out the health impacts on regular commuters and transit workers. Quote, the MTA said that the researchers only sampled a small fraction of the subway system and that average wait times and rush hour are less than referenced in the study. However, it added that it is looking at new air filtration systems for the subway. We have conducted previous air quality testing on subway trains operating in our system and found no health risks. However, we will thoroughly review this study as the safety of customers and employees is always our highest priority, said Tim Minton, the MTA's communications director, Uh, end quote. Personally, as someone who has spent a number of years being a regular uh, rider of those subway lines, this is extremely disturbing news and makes me question the long-term health of my own lungs, um, let alone the people who are working in these systems all day long. Um, Also, I'd like to hear more about these other air quality tests that the MTA supposedly have done and they had no health risks. Um, I find that hard to believe that it could go from no health risks to like a fucking like 1400 (laughs) micrograms per cubic meter when the safe amount is 35 micrograms. Um, But yeah, pretty scary stuff. (laughs) It's just, it's baffling. Yeah. So that just proves that New Yorkers are superhuman. First of all, I mean, <laughs> um, which and those numbers we all knew. Okay, probably not always for the right reasons, but I definitely feel and and because I'm from the Midwest, right? I didn't grow up riding subways, or you know, we had a bus that ran every hour, so you learn to drive. When I first moved here, like full disclosure, I was completely disgusted with myself when I walked in the door. Like I felt like I was with all the stuff in the air on the ground on the train like I was just a little overwhelmed and this is just really confirming that we still ain't safe (laughs) y'all like it's still it's still kind of um scary what happens in those subway stations and I'm not surprised but I'm it just makes me want to wear my mask like even when I don't have to if that'll ever happen again yeah like I that crossed my mind too is like if like after reading that like I'm wondering if I personally will ever like just be down there hanging out without something like, you know, some sort of filtration system over my mouth and nose. But the the Christopher street station specifically was the one that had, okay. Safe level. I'm just going to say it one more time. Cause like, I'm like, I'm still like turning red reading it. Safe levels are 35 micrograms per cubic meter. Christopher street had 1,499 per cubic meter. Is that like, is there room for air left at that point? And it's, it's insane. And there was something about how like they, the, one of the researchers who was down there had to like, was like, was down there for a while doing work and had like noticeable issues after like one day or something. I, I might be paraphrasing, but it was like, there was like an anecdote about that in the article. Wow. I mean, I, I don't know. I always thought that subways were powered electronically like in my mind I always think of like electricity but the article you quoted mentions um fossil fuels and carbon and stuff so there's probably a lot that can be helped if it like if there's some kind of shift in how they're run right so it might be a combination of like the way that stuff break down breaks down like um yeah I guess I guess there are a certain level of diesel locomotives down there but it's also um maybe yeah I guess I did say that I'm 
wondering, yeah, it's also the breakdown of fossil fuels over time. So there might be stuff down there that's just been down there for a long time that's still breaking yeah. down. Yeah, it's an know? old subway system. You yeah. know, I love the subway system. I'm very grateful for it. I hate driving. I have a phobia of driving. So I like the idea of, you know, you pay, the fare is too high, mm-hmm. but it's like you pay this and you can go from the top of the city to all the way to the other end. Yeah. And yeah. that's great, but it's so old. Like the subway system is so old. And when you don't update infrastructure, this is what happens. There's like a breakdown, like physically there's things that, you know, the literal material will break down and become unhealthy, you know, and I think it's, the focus might be on like these metropolitan areas that are known for having these types of hubs, but it's a countrywide problem, whether it's this or like bridges breaking down the power grid, not being reliable because things are not being updated in a timely fashion. It has a consequence. Like eventually if you're skimping, you're going to end up paying the price on the back end, which is, I guess what we're Mm -hmm. seeing now with these, yeah ridiculous pollution levels yeah i mean for me my worst days riding the subway are always when it's like 100 degrees outside and it feels like you know 115 down there because there's no air movement um and that's always in my mind been like a comfort thing but like oh i just got to get through it uncomfortable but like how about the fact that it's so uncomfortable also there's just no air movement down there right at all yeah and that leads to a lot of other issues including like air quality which yeah I think a lot of us you know have learned a lot about air filtration (laughs) and systems and what that means for what we're breathing in this year um it's it's just sort of opened our eyes to a lot of that stuff yeah for sure and I would be interested in knowing like the breakdown of what stations are the best or the worst when it comes to that they all sound pretty bad but I know like the Bronx has one of the highest rates of um, children having asthma and things like Mm -hmm. you know that what physically gets into your lungs plays a part in that yep absolutely Yeah, you really, really see a lot when you go to like another country and you ride the subway and you see how like the carts, cars have been innovated or, you know, it just doesn't look old and worn and decrepit. It just, it just, you can see that they put money in this infrastructure to let it, you know, continue to get better. I don't feel like they do that here and they constantly complain that they don't have enough money to keep it going and all these other things. Um, but they clearly don't even keep it clean, which is, which we have learned is very unsafe, you know? So I don't know, you know, what, what the uh, finance issues are with MTA has been a lot, um, over the last year, I'm sure, but things like this are, basically leading to the death of riders and people having all these other underlying health conditions just by living in this city. And that's really unfortunate. It is really unfortunate. And added to the fact, what you just said reminded me, like there are, there are people that, um, that are houseless, right. That spend a lot of their time in the winter, maybe down in the subway systems. So they're breathing in that stuff constantly. Right. It's just like all these, there's all these, it all spirals out into all these other issues when you really think about it, but all these things are connected in a really, you know, awful way. Wow. So people keep your mask on, (laughs) keep on sanitizing yourself, be safe, be careful. And MTA, come on, man, like get it together. (laughs) We're trying to live out here in New York city and abroad and everywhere else um, where there's a subway system. So 
thank you, Emily, <laughs> for bringing that story to life. I'm like, thank yeah. you. Should I thank you? Mm-hmm. Uh, we should definitely, yeah, that we need to come back to that. They Emily's need to do something. like, wake up, sheeple. <laughs> <laughs> do something. Mm-hmm. And to think all these years we haven't been wearing masks. I mean, that shit freaks me out all the time. Um, but anyway, that's another yeah. story for another day. <laughs> all right. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our first music break today. Uh, we have a really nice jazz record. It's called El Domingo, and it comes from a group called Duendes. We'll be right back.
Hello, this is Jasmine. Just as a reminder, you can follow us on social media. We have a Facebook page and we also have an Instagram account. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram page is at objection to the rule. All one word, no spaces, and again, no punctuation. Thanks, and here's Teresa. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we will jump into our national news segment. So this story comes from CNN. The author is Harmet Kaur, and the title of the story is The Cherokee Nation Acknowledges the Descendants of People Once Enslaved by the Tribe Should Also Qualify as Cherokee. So a longstanding dispute over who can be considered a citizen of the Cherokee Nation finally came to a conclusion this week. The Cherokee Nation Supreme Court ruled on Monday that the tribal nation removed the phrase by blood from its constitution and other tribal laws. The change formally acknowledges that the descendants of Black people once enslaved by the tribe, known as as the Cherokee freedmen, had the right to tribal citizenship which means they are eligible to run for tribal offices and excess resources, such as tribal health care. The recent decision by the Cherokee Nation Supreme Court is a response to a 2017 ruling by the U.S. Federal District Court, which determined that the descendants of Cherokee freedmen are entitled to full tribal citizenship under the Treaty of Cherokee Nation made with the U.S. in 1866. The history of Cherokee freedmen is an example of just how complex and layered the issues of race inequality and marginalization are in the U.S. Many Native Americans were enslaved alongside African Americans during the colonial period. Um, and that this, these um, statistics come from Brown University historian Linford D. Fisher. Uh, Linford says that estimates of 2 million to 5.5 million Native people were enslaved with, from the time of Christopher Columbus to around 1880. But some wealthier tribal citizens, particularly in tribes in the Southeast that had adopted certain norms of white settlers, also practiced slavery themselves. That includes the Cherokee people, some of whom in the early 1800s had started to enslave African-Americans. Then in the late 1830s, the U.S. government forcibly expelled the Cherokee from their homeland and ordered them to relocate um, to present-day Oklahoma, what we all know as the Trail of Tears. What's not as widely known, though, is that enslaved African Americans made the journey along with the Cherokee citizens who enslaved them. About 4,000 enslaved Black people were living among the Cherokee people in 1861, according to the National Museum of the American Indian. The tribe abolished slavery in 1863, and shortly after the Civil War ended, the Cherokee Nation signed a treaty with the U.S. government that granted full citizenship rights to those formerly enslaved by Cherokee citizens. But in practice, freedmen were often denied those rights and excluded from the tribe. Over the past several decades, Cherokee freedmen have fought to protect those rights through various legal proceedings. In 2007, the Cherokee Nation amended its constitution to restrict tribal citizenship to those with Indian blood. They expelled about 2,800 descendants of Cherokee freedmen from the tribe, and that's according to the website of the National Museum of the American Indian. 
Chad Smith, the principal chief of the Cherokee Nation at the time, argued that the tribe was a sovereign nation and should therefore have the right to determine who qualifies for tribal citizenship. But the freedmen pushed back, resulting in a series of legal battles both between both parties over the next few decades. In 2017, a federal district court ruled in favor of the freedmen, a decision that the Cherokee Nation Supreme Court has now affirmed. So here's a quote. The by blood language found within the Cherokee Nation Constitution and any laws which from that language is illegal, obsolete, and repugnant of the ideal of liberty. The, these words insult and, and degrade the descendants of the freedmen, much like Jim Crow laws found lingering on the books of the Southern states some 57 years after the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Uh, Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. commented on the decision by saying, Cherokee Nation is stronger when we move forward as citizens together and on an equal basis under the law. The court has acknowledged in the strongest terms our ancestors' commitment to equality 155 years ago in the Treaty of 1866. My hope is that we all share in the same commitment going forward. So about 8,500 descendants of freedmen are currently enrolled as citizens of the Cherokee nations, according to a news release from the tribe. So yeah, that is a story. Um, I thought this was very interesting because like the article said, um, I think a lot of people try to separate the history of the Native Americans and the African Americans, which obviously you can't. Okay, that is American history. Um, but, you know, many people were enslaved in history. And in this country, you know, I think a lot of people either don't feel comfortable with the thought that Native Americans enslaved African Americans, but it is true. Okay, it did happen. Um, I know that in my own family, I am of Native American culture. There was always a dispute of, you know, who had Indian blood, how much of it you had. And unfortunately, within my own family, we did have some separation based on that. Um, the the white Native American portion of my family had stronger ties um, to the tribe and kind of, you know, made it more difficult for those of us of a darker hue and who, you know, had African-American blood to have access to information, to, you know, uh, family members, to history, um, and things of that nature. So to me, I think, you know, this is obviously very, very late. However, um, it's interesting to, to know that this is a fight that's been going on for a very long time. And that, you know, I don't know if it's just where we are now that it's better for people of color to band together, regardless of your ethnicity. But this is a very interesting time to be making these ties and righting these wrongs. What do you guys think about this story? Well, I'm I'm happy to hear that this change is being made, you know, because from what I do understand, like from the outside, just from what I've heard from um, people who are Native Americans or American Indians or like listening to them speak or like reading, uh, a lot of them consider the whole idea of like blood quantum or like you have to measure the amount of your heritage by like blood or something, see that as being racist and as yeah. it being more so about your identity with the people and with the culture and everything as being the primary thing. Like if you are a part of the community, 
So it's unfortunate that all this time it seems like they were choosing to use the more like race sciencey type way in order to it seems like keep certain people out. No, that's an interesting concept, um, and I do I, I wonder about that often myself, you know, and and you know I like to talk about stories like this because it you know it doesn't come to the surface too much that we have these sort of um, deep discussions about the the dark past of of America around Native Americans. However, that is always been something in my experience and and in my research that has separated the community. You know, even within tribes, different tribes did it a different way. You know, uh, Cherokee Indians are very popular. Like that's what people know the most. That's the tribe that they reference in one of the largest groups. Um, and so for them to make this statement, you know, I really hope that it, it almost flows into other tribal decisions um, about things of this nature, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah. What a, what an interesting story, Teresa. I think I learned a lot. Um, like I, I was, I was some, like I had heard previously, like in the past about, um, native Americans being slaveholders as well. But, um, I also, I also didn't know your personal history, um, with it, within that arena as well, Teresa. So it was very interesting to hear it from that perspective too. I think I, I was, you know, listening to the story and thinking about how it's, there's um, a lot of people forget that you can, you don't have to be white to hold uh, racist ideas and to hold detrimental ideas about groups and ethnicities and even, even your own group as well. Um, that you, you can, be you know it's just personal example you like with myself you can be jewish and also still latch on to anti-semitic um ideas and have trouble letting them go um because of the power structures that we all live under um so i think it's a good reminder of that that we you know like all of us um usually do have room to learn and grow um and like when it comes to issues like these related to like race, um, especially in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, discrimination is layered, you know, and, and I like what you said that you don't have to be white to have these ideals, you know, um, it is, it's hard to acknowledge those pieces of us that sometime are programmed even to believe these things that are not true or, these separatist ideas that have been embedded to us because of our experience uh, to have to step outside of that and, you know, look for knowledge in yourself. I just remember, you know, I, I was doing for a very long time in college, I was like very interested in learning about my past and all of my past, you know, and I have like uh, family members that are alive today in another state that, um, unfortunately have not tried to be a part of this part of my family because of race. And it's definitely a challenging thing when you're someone like myself who is looking for the past, it's right there. But unfortunately people are holding it from you uh, because of these horrible separatist ideals and this horrible programming that has been embedded. So, um, you know, this story really stuck out to me because it's fine. It's almost like finally, you know what I mean? Like finally there's some acknowledgement, even though a lot of African-Americans support uh, tribal practices and things of that nature, um, the inclusion portion um, is definitely shifting 
And I think that we will find more African-American people and just people in general who are descendants of Native Americans really looking for that past and, you know, researching what it means and, and how to keep their culture um, vibrant and alive and learn more about it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunately, it's unfortunately common for many different groups to sort of latch on to anti-Blackness as like an organizing principle, like part of what makes you what you are is how you are not Black and how you are distinct from Black people or people who are perceived as Black. And it's, it's sad that there's so many different groups around the world, unfortunately, that really stick to that, you know, like there's a lot of people who are of, um, they might be biracial or multiracial, but the fact that they have, you know, like visible, like African heritage, it's almost like whatever other heritage they have gets erased or suddenly doesn't count anymore because you can't be one of us if you're also this other thing. So like, I'm happy that it sounds to me like a step in the right direction. And I hope that, you know, there's more solidarity, more understanding and more like working together, you know, as black people who maybe aren't native, black people who are native, native people who are not black, you know, like we're, we're in this together. That's right. And healing needs to happen. So hopefully it is on the way. All right, so we are going to take another music break before jumping into our international and good news segments. The next track is called Welcome to America, and it's by Black Thought and features C.C. Armstrong and Angela Hunt. Check it out. Stay tuned. Welcome to America, where you can dream as long as you can breathe. You can be the motherfucking president. United States to get murdered right on these streets. Welcome to the sins that a father, my pop, gave me to suffer. The friends I will follow was crack babies and hustlers. It's still sharp and still in the block. Made me a cutler. My pen is from the future, like Octavia Butler's. My grandmother sutured a flag from bloody cotton. The fruits of her labor, alas, already rotten. My man said, Joe, it's crazy how fast that we've forgotten that we used to pull boxes and plows like we were oxen and cows without an option. And now it's this glorious. Victorious story, only bitch for me to shut it down. They sold some of us down the rivers. It's such a poor level of fraud. I get the shivers. It's insidious and it's always been hideous. I had to tread water and run, be amphibious. They do you so dirty for one. Yo, what's cleanliness? It make you wanna let off a gun into the emptiness life. I'm ill-fated and hated, I'm hella melanated Blackness is my religion, to that I'm dedicated I follow the laws of nature by which I'm regulated The universe, my university, I'm educated This one is for my very revolutionaries I should keep it at a hundred even though the truth is heavy Who stand firmly and see that life is a journey That either God or the journey My public defender burn me, so did the district attorney In a turbulent trial, they told me that time is master What I'm serving it now Tell my family I'll be making my return in a while And every symbol of oppression I'll be burning Welcome to America, where you can dream as long as you can breathe. You can be the motherfucking president of the United States to get murdered right on these streets. Welcome to America, land of the brave and the home of the free. You can be a saint or a sinner or a billionaire or just 
alone If his blood spill on the ancestors Ashes and bone From a pure heart The Lord fashioned after his own When packaged and flown To the essence of his African throne For every lost body cross Tarred, feathered and tossed It's no way I could measure the cost Or ever exhaust But whether it's yours or mine This American cloth Has never been soft While history was running its course I ran hard from Jamestown With slaves found Jesus and foul Demons will never be charged With malfeasance I sat through they revival Though I never found credence I found that we had never known Shit about freedom I've been charged with treason I've been scarred and freezing I've been called the nigger And then called the heathen When hounds found me They couldn't even tell If I was breathing In America We're on black men It's open season Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we'll jump right into our international news segment. Jasmine, what do you have for us today? All right. So this story comes from Ghana. And unfortunately, it's not a happy story. Um, This information is from an article on Al Jazeera. The title of the article I'm reading from is Ghana Security Forces Shut Down LGBTQ Office Rights Group. The LGBT plus rights Ghana group says its Accra office was raided and closed by security forces um, after politicians and religious leaders called for its closure. Gay sex is a criminal offense in the West African country and members of the LGBTQ community face widespread discrimination. This morning, our office was raided by national security, the LGBT plus rights Ghana group said on Twitter on Wednesday. At this moment, we no longer have access to our safe space and our safety is being threatened, it said, adding that a few days ago, traditional leaders threatened to burn down our office, but the police did not help. Foreign diplomats in the country came under fire after some attended the opening of the center on January 31st. The European Union's delegation in Ghana tweeted at the time that representatives had participated in the opening of the new community space. The LGBTQ group's director, Alex Doncourt, told the AFP news agency that closing the center was against human rights. Ghana is a free country, and we expect the president and the security agencies to rather protect us instead of threatening us, Dancor said. There was no immediate statement by the police. But the owner of the property, Asenso Giambi, said he had reported the group to security agencies. Giambi told AFP he was not aware his house was being rented by LGBT plus rights Ghana. He says, I wasn't happy about it. I had to report it to the security agencies to take action. I won't tolerate such activities in my property. Ghana's minister-designate for Gender, Children, and Social Protection, whose name Sarah Adwoa Safo, said this last week that the issue of the criminality of LGBT is non-negotiable and our cultural practices also frown on it. Uh, And that's a direct quote from her. There is no legislation in Ghana explicitly prohibiting homosexuality, but gay sex is criminalized with offenders potentially facing up to 25 years in prison. Um, And then this is some other information that comes from CNN. Alex Kofi Dancor, who heads the center in the country's capital, told CNN Thursday, so this is from today, 
um, that we're recording this, that he is now concerned for his safety after the raid. I just contacted our lawyers. There's an unsafe situation right now, and I need to go offline, Donker told CNN. The community center, which opened on January 31st in a ceremony attended by a delegation of the European Union and other foreign embassies, has faced opposition from the start and attracted a lot of anger among locals who called for it to be shut down. A spokesperson, a spokesman, sorry, for Ghana Police Service declined to comment on the shutdown of the not-for-profit center, described as a movement, quote, championing the fight for freedom for LGBT plus persons in Ghana. Although short-lived, the center would remain in hearts and minds, Donker posted on his social media page. We anticipated this, he posted. We will triumph. The police may have raided our office and closed it down, but the real office is in our hearts and minds. So once again, like this information was from Al Jazeera and also from CNN. Uh, if you would like to follow updates about the center and about its founder, their page is www.facebook.com forward slash LGBT rights Ghana. Their regular website is lgbtrightsgh.org. You can also follow them on Instagram at, at @lgbtrightsghana, and it's the same handle on Twitter at lgbtrights. That's capital L, capital G, capital B, capital T, capital R, I, G, H, T, S, capital G, H, A, N, A. Um, so yeah, if you go to their pages, you can see ways that you can offer some material support. Um, as, as we know, a lot of these, any type of community center, it's meant to help people that are in a bad way. So now that it's shut down, like any way that you can offer some support, I'm sure would be appreciated. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That's really tough, you know, when, because the, the amount of work that goes into establishing organizations like this, um, especially within countries that have such a difficulty for people of the LGBTQ community, it, it re it's really disheartening because it takes a lot just to get the organization off the ground to get the center formed for it then to be shut down um, in this way. You know, so it's really challenging for people to rebuild and reestablish these organizations. So definitely want to support that group and um, follow through on that story. It's pretty inspiring to hear about um, the works, the work of that. Like, however, it, it is very sad that the, it got shut down. But the initial, you know, the 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 bravery it took to open the center in the first place, and that sort of culture and the steps to you know that that took to do in that sort of um, environment, LG, like not LGBTQ friendly environment. Um, is really important. Um, and, and thank you, Jasmine, as, as you, you know, you're always very good at offering, um, ways for, for us and for listeners to get involved with specific issues and, and action items. So, um, thank you also for offering those as well. It, there's so many different things going on and I know a lot of people are struggling. You might not have it, but um, it's important to raise awareness to, you know, put pressure on people to, 
you know, not everyone is going to do the right thing because it is the right thing. But sometimes when there's enough like embarrassment or enough people like this is an outrage, like it might lead to some kind of a change or reprieve. But, you know, people are making at great risk to themselves, like going out of their way to find ways to support one another. So it's far away from us in New York, but yeah, hopefully if you're listening, you can contribute, spread the word, make sure people are aware of what's happening because nobody deserves to have their safe space snatched from them like this. It's really unfortunate to hear about. Yeah. And I definitely think that the media does not do enough to acknowledge safe spaces, to acknowledge the importance of them. Um, and, and, you know, in New York, like you said, there's a lot more safe spaces than many other places in this country, but just like around the world, you know, what freedom means and to be protected for being who you are, uh, it, it varies, you know, so um, it's really important for us to keep highlighting that and supporting safe space for people to be themselves and be comfortable in their skin and be, you know, safe at the very end of the day. So, all right. So, and for our final story, Emily, <laughs> grace us with this good slash weird news story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All righty. Yeah. So, very weird, I would say, ambiguous ambiguous on whether it is outright good or not, but we can all discuss that at the end. Um, Alrighty. So uh, this story comes from a February 20th Associated Press article by Mead Groover, uh, which is a great name. And it's titled First Clone of U.S. Endangered Species, a Ferret Announced. Uh, The article explains, quote, scientists have cloned the first U.S. endangered species, a black-footed ferret duplicated from the genes of an animal that died over 30 years ago. What? Yeah. Ferret, <laughs> so, Emily. Yes, it's a ferret, endangered ferret. So the clone is named Elizabeth Ann, which is adorable. And she was born December 10th, but the announcement was just made this month. Uh, apparently, she had a domestic ferret as a foster mother. Uh, She's, quote, being raised at a Fish and Wildlife Service black-footed ferret breeding facility in Fort Collins, Colorado. She's a genetic copy of a ferret named Willa who died in 1988 and whose whose remains were frozen in the early days of DNA technology. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Quote, black-footed ferrets are a type of weasel easily recognized by dark eye markings resembling a robber's mask charismatic and nocturnal they feed exclusively on prairie dogs while living in the midst of the rodent sometimes vast borough colonies quote lack of genetic diversity presents an ongoing risk all ferrets reintroduced so far are the descendants of just seven closely related animals genetic similarity that makes today's ferrets potentially susceptible to intestinal parasites and diseases such as sylvatic plague uh, end quote. So the when the original ferret Willa died, quote, the Wyoming Game and Fish Department sent her tissues to a frozen zoo run by San Diego Zoo Global that maintained cells from more than 1,100 species and subspecies worldwide. Uh, as a reminder, quote, cloning makes a new plant or animal by copying the genes of an existing animal. Uh, also, there are apparently no plans to release any cloned ferrets into the wild, in case you were wondering. Um, quote, cloning eventually could bring back extinct species such as the passenger pigeon. 
Uh, for now, the technique holds promise for helping endangered species, including a Mongolian wild horse that was cloned and last summer born at a Texas facility. Biotechnology and genomic data can really make a difference on the ground with conservation efforts, said Ben Novak, lead scientist with Revive and Restore, a biotechnology-focused conservation nonprofit that coordinated the ferret and horse clonings. End quote. Um, interestingly enough, cloning birds is way harder than mammals because of the whole egg thing. Like, how do you get the DNA into the egg? Also, there are currently plans in the works to bring back a woolly mammoth, uh, which have been extinct for thousands of years, in case you forgot. Um, so, yeah, overall, I think this is very interesting. Oh, yeah, we, we're going to talk about it. And my <sighs> gut, my gut tells me saving endangered species is a good thing. But it also brings up a number of ethical issues and like the whole mammoth thing is like Jurassic Park level issues, maybe. Um, I don't know if they were going to try and bring back just one woolly mammoth or like a bunch. But yeah, what do you guys think? Okay. Okay. All right. So the first thing that came to my mind when you said woolly mammoth is like, are they bringing back dinosaurs? Because at this point, if I I see a pterodactyl outside my window... I won't think it's a conspiracy theory, but no, (laughs) I won't. But in all truthfulness, what stuck out to me? Did you say a frozen zoo? Yeah. Yeah. So apparently it's like, I mean, I guess it's a nicer way than saying like dead zoo, because I think that's essentially what it is. It's like, it's uh, yeah. The San Diego zoo has like, um, like it keeps it's like kind of like it's probably like the seed storage bank you know we you've talked about one of your stories a while yeah, ago Teresa. yeah i remember i think that. it's the, yeah i think it's the same idea where um they keep like like <laughs> like a catalog dead oh, zoo at, okay. which is is my understanding of things in case that for dna creepy man it's now, crazy what my question is because one of the issues is if it's genetic diversity that is the problem, then how is it that like an exact clone of something is going to be helpful? Like, how are you going to then diversify the gene pool? Like if you're just making exact copies of animals that have already died, how does that, what does that mean for like then the future generations? Cause they're still going to have the same gene pool. No. Yeah, and no, they're not releasing them, so there's no chance yeah. for them to mix. This sounds like some suspicious. It's like, what is going on? Get yeah. Jeff Goldblum on the line. We need yeah. to look into this. Like, what is the real purpose? Yeah, girl, I have no idea. That yeah, it really. Um, I think right now it's it's very early. Like they're just trying to see what they're what's possible in terms of working on this stuff to save endangered species. Um, yeah, I don't know how they're going to get around the the genetic diversity issue. Um, yeah. I, don't, I guess they, they, yeah. If they got animals, they got people. I'm sorry. I just. <laughs> I think they have cloned people, right? Okay, I feel well, like I Googled this and like they have this in my like. Wow. Yeah, this show has it started out on a <laughs> no way. Note. No way. We're we're ending on like a Blade Runner note. <laughs> well, wait, wait. Ladies, you know we're on the precipice of a full moon, so that makes sense. Okay, wait. So maybe they haven't done it yet. I don't know yet. Mixed mixed reviews on whether you, they have actually cloned a human. Like it was some regular. Like yeah, absolutely. Cloned <laughs> people for sure, and I'm over here like what. Wait, okay. I'm not even surprised. I'm not even surprised. 
No, wait, maybe, okay, either it happened in 2002 or it hasn't happened yet. I don't know what's real. The internet lies all the time, so (laughs) (laughs) I'll make quick Google. If so, it's I don't know. 2000, I would believe you. Because remember that whole yeah, Y2K? Right. They was probably <laughs> oh, preserving yeah. preserving all type of shit going yeah. into the millennium. So I know, I know about Dolly. Dolly. Sheep. Love Dolly. Named after Dolly Parton. Yeah, um, so but, she was, I think, the first cloned anything, I think. that like Or mammal or something. I don't know. Or big, big thing. I did not know because in my mind, I like ferrets. I think they're very cute and interesting mm-hmm. animals, but I did not. I guess in my head, I thought of all of them as having black feet. I didn't think of them as like, oh, there's different types of them and this specific type is endangered. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. 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 I don't, I'm not, I'm hardly an expert on ferrets myself, but um, I think the, the article went on to explain this is like, like, there's like domesticated ferrets and this is like a wild ferret right like this is like one that second you'll poor, be friendly and the next second they'll be like on you that poor foster mother i know had, it was like my baby and then it got, was like Arr. yeah apparently like i think they mixed in with a litter of of normal babies um yeah oh it, yeah to like help help ease it <laughs> into the world yeah so this quote from the u.s fish and wildlife service or something says you might have been handling uh a black-footed ferret kit and then they try to take your finger off the next day so what they're wild you can't t- uh put them down uh-uh this is like a cross between jurassic park little yeah. shop of horrors yeah. little pet shop of horrors <laughs> All my favorite things. One thing after Jumanji. <laughs> Why it was attractive. That's fun. Wow. Well, ferrets creep me out, but um, you know, I'm not discriminating, so I I I don't know what to think about this story. But um, thank you for telling us that they are anytime. <laughs> <laughs> we should definitely be aware of that. So, all right, folks. <laughs> so. I guess we made it to the end. (laughs) That's it it for this week's Objection to the Rule. Thank you all so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on the Radio Free Brooklyn app or on Spotify. Listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. Our final track of the day comes from Sam Smith and Yeba, and it's called No Peace. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Fingers in my head. Sometimes I still pretend you're there. It hits me without warning. Your reflection walking by. But I know it's only in my mind. Will you show me the peace of my heart? I've been missing. You give me the part of myself that I can't get back. Ooh, Will you show me the peace of my heart? I've been missing. Cause I can't feel and I need you know that. So I'll light up a cigarette, I'll drink it down till there's nothing left. 
If you live in New York City and run for either fun or exercise, here's a way to learn something about the city while you're getting in your workout. City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours designed with locals in mind. New York City takes pride in the diversity and character of its neighborhoods, and these unique running tours offer an opportunity to learn the history of a neighborhood and get personal recommendations from your guide. Choose from tours of 23 neighborhoods, including the East Village, the Upper West Side, Bushwick, Long Island City, and Roosevelt Island. For more information about the running tours and to see the list of neighborhoods and full tour schedule, check out their website at www.cityrunningtours.com slash New York City and check out a live tour every Saturday at 10 a.m. on Instagram.com forward slash city running tours.